one. Hey, everybody, if you love combat sports, such as Kyokushin Karate, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, BJJ, wrestling, make sure to hit the like, share, subscribe button to the Drew Spirience channel on all platforms such as YouTube for video and audio. If you don't have time to listen, it's on Spotify, Apple, iTunes. We'd like to say thank you to a few supporters. First, one Kyokushin, then KRT Tips and Tricks, Marshall Way, Real Talk with with, uh, Terry Burkett and Scott Heaney, and lastly, Moments Management and Cops Gym if you're a European fighter out in Europe. And today, my guest, wow, this is a big one. I'm so amped. Been waiting to have this for a long time. Like, I got to thank, first of all, Andre Barquero and my other friend, Paul Dominic, for really pushing this to happen. I got, I got royalty here. He's BJJ royalty, but he's not just BJJ royalty. He's fought in MMA, and now he's turning out not only amazing pro fighters, but amazing human beings in Philadelphia. The one, the only, I'm proud to present Daniel, Master Daniel Gracie of Daniel Gracie, BJJ. Welcome to the Drew Experience, Daniel. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I like that you pumped me up. That's it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Again, like I, I heard great things about you. And uh, I'm, again, it's a, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm really, really, I'm really honored to, that uh, you've heard about me. It means like I'm doing something right, especially if you're saying that. I appreciate the very kind words. And this is just such a, like right now, Daniel Gracie BJJ is just on the, it it's, keeps rising. It's on a fast track. You know, first of all, I want to also say congratulations to um, all the, the new fighters that signed their first pro contracts uh there was like i think five that you had i can't remember the names of them if you want to give their names go right ahead because they deserve uh mention uh isa look some of them are russians uh albanians i have no idea how to say their last name <laughs> but Issa, I, I know so isa dalipaj uh many morales jamie colleen uh uh it's i can't say it's last name it's Georgian. Uh, and Sean Brady. Sean Brady now is with Moments MMA. Very, very good choice. I'm really, really happy there. And you guys are in great hands with Nima. He's going to make sure to t- tell you about the ins and outs of the fight game. So don't worry, guys. I'm thrilled for all of you. This is a big win. This is the first step. Now it's up to you guys. You're the ki- you're the masters of your fate. So do well. Listen to your master, Daniel, for training. And when it comes to management, I'm just going to say, always seek advice from Nima. He will be there for you. Yeah, again, again, he's a great person, you know, great friend now. Uh, the fact that he's uh, uh, my cousin's black belt, he's one of House black belts. And, uh, you know, it's just I, I can see what I what I needed. Everyone wants to pretend that they have that uh, Jerry Maguire thing as a manager. But to really present that to the fighter, you know, to the person, it's a different game. And I know that Nima does that. You know, Nima, why? Because he's a martial artist. Because he has a black belt. In so he understands the respect and the family, you know, bond that we have, you know, as fighters, as coaches. And, and we just needed that. And he, he's going to give it to us 100%. Amazing. Well, the show's about you. I mean, I could go on in days for about how like, how much Nima is just a great human being overall. And he's going to come back on the show soon. But I want to ask you, Daniel, um, obviously, the name with the name you have, it's um, 
you, you, Daniel Gracie. So I always ask, how did you get started in martial arts? But my question is, how did you get introduced to Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Well, we, we, we kind of like born on the mats. Like we really, we got introduced to, to, to jiu-jitsu really early mm-hmm. on our life. Uh, not training itself, just getting used to the mats. Like we play on the mats. The, the mats were like our playground uh, when we were little kids. So sometimes we would jump in the middle of classes, of adults' classes, and the adults would be playing with us. Uh, sometimes we just like wait the classes to be over, and then we like just run around the, the mats, you know, doing like what kids do. But uh, uh, it's funny because people think that, okay, you're born in this family and you're going to get pushed to jiu-jitsu right away. Mm-hmm. We understand that if you push the kid to jiu-jitsu, they're going to hate jiu-jitsu. They, they have to come on their own. Mm-hmm. So I remember starting training when I was six, seven years old, but uh, not, I didn't train, really train that I remember until I was 10. When I was 10 years old and I started to train, I never stopped anymore. Uh, we, it, it was funny because the time that we started to train, my, my, my mother and, Han, and Hansel's high-end house mother, uh, they're my, this sisters, my, my, my mom and Hansel's mom, mm-hmm. they moved far from where we train. What is in Copacabana? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first school that was Carlos Gracie Jr. and Carson Gracie. Mm-hmm. That was the old Halls Gracie School. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took over after Halls died, mm-hmm. but that was in Copacabana, and we need we lived nearby, but then we moved to Baja da Tijuca, what was far away, mm-hmm. and we stopped training for a few years because of that. Mm-hmm. So six and ten years old, we didn't have jiu-jitsu, but that's when we start to surf. You know, we start to like, it was amazing when we moved to Baja because Baja was a neighborhood. There was uh, like all nature, the beach and the forest. And it was everything. It was right on the, on the, you know, on the big mountain. Oh, uh, like we lost, uh, I lost you on the camera yeah. there. <laughs> I don't. It's... Oh, wait a second. Looks like a call came in or who knows. He's going to come back, people. Don't worry. Happens when you podcast. There we go. All right. There we go. No, I can't. Mm-mm. It's okay. We're having some tech. Oh, there we go. It's weird. <laughs> it's okay we here i'm gonna send a message 
Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? No? Weird. Hmm. Okay. Can you hear me now? Let's see. That's weird. Okay, let's try again. Hey. There we go. It's connecting. It's connecting. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it works. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, that's bad. Like, if someone called me, the, 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 the Zoom just dropped. What happened? I don't know. That's really weird. That's what happens with Zoom, man. But it's okay. It's okay. It's good. You came back. You didn't give up. You persevered. That's what martial arts is. It's okay. And, and then we're going to include this part in here too, because look, I'm not a pro podcaster. This is what happens when you're doing, when you're on the up and coming, you got to show these raw moments because then that's what makes e everyone like each other. And it helps us grow as humans because it shows the human yeah. side. It was weird. Someone called me. Yeah. I didn't call, but then uh, somehow he answered the call and the call was together with mm -hmm. your video. And then I couldn't get out of the call anymore. Ah, oh, okay. Okay, that I'm, makes sense. Technology, yeah. as I said, we're, we're terrible with it. So this this space of time, like in between, like we're like six, five. Mm -hmm. those, remember, we own the house that there's, you know, 20 people at the same time living in the same house. It was a big house. Uh, there was two floors. And my mom lives on the top floor and Hansel's mom lives on the, on the bottom floor. Mm -hmm. But on that time, we we've discovered surfing the beach and then nature we used to go uh like this up this mountain every almost every weekend you know just to hike and exercise so we it was it was a fun time you know that we had on that time uh on this on this period of time one of our neighbors he started to train in Copacabana okay mm -hmm. and he he drove there twice a week and that's when me and Hal started to get a, a ride with him. And that's when we can, we start to train again. Me and Hal start to train again. Hein mm. uh, was little, Hein was not training yet. Uh, but it, it was just a, a little, like a short period of time because then Carlos Gracie Jr. moved to Baja and opened Gracie Baja mm -hmm. in Baja. And then we never stopped training again. Then it was Jiu Jitsu forever. <laughs> Amazing. So during this time, this is like in, so 
This is also during um, the time in Brazil when martial arts is really becoming mainstream because not only is jujitsu growing rapidly, and then you have the story where Horian starts going to California slowly, but also um, in Brazilian martial arts, kickboxers are starting to come up like the Globe Feitosas, the Francisco Fijos, who I'm sure, and you were Tintacheras, who I'm sure you're aware of. So what do you feel, yeah. do you feel that period was? You know why I knew them? How do you knew them? Because I used to play video games with their names. Get out. Yeah, I had a K1 video game. And uh, me and my brother, we always play with them uh, on the K1 video game. And then when when we start to know, well, like, of course, when I start to fight in Japan and I saw these people there, like, holy shit, I used to play video game with that. Miko Krokop, when Krokop came to, the, to, to MMA, people were like, well, who's this guy? I'm like, I know who's this guy. <laughs> play video games with his with his character so it was, it was funny uh but at the, exactly at the same time and but the thing is remember on that time uh for us there's no mma mm -hmm. for us okay jiu-jitsu against the world it was proving that jiu-jitsu was the best martial art mm -hmm. uh we we didn't have any striking our mm -hmm. striking was limited to defense you know that little stumble like the kick the front kick mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes we would slap in front of people's face and double leg them, but then we hit the ground. We knew what we were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it was just to prove that jiu-jitsu was the most effective martial art in the world. And we did that. Okay, so when Harion, when Harion did the, the UFC and all that, the world knew what was going on. But we we'd been doing that way before in Brazil, you know, fighting capoeira, karate, judo, like with every other martial art that claimed to be the best, we used to fight, you know, we used to fight them uh, from like many generations uh, before that. So it's, uh, it, well, Sean Brady's calling me now. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so again, look, it's hold and accept. That's mm -hmm. the options they're giving to me. And then accept, well, you see, I cannot deny the call. That's the problem. Just wait for it to go. It's going to go. Don't worry. It happens. It happens. And then yeah, after... Have... Yeah. yeah, perfect. Right? I'm back. Yeah. You see, perfect. now I have... I have to wait. You're a busy guy. I understand. Look, this happens, as I said. But it makes the show cool because it shows how, how in demand you are. And then, it makes, and then people are going to see this and they're going to say, wow, you got Master Daniel Grace. He's got this guy calling him. How did you do it? And so you got to look at the positives. I'm, I, I go with the flow. I'm a type B person. I, it's like I just go with the flow, man. Yeah, well, because I'm doing from the floor, I should be yeah. doing from the But again, I just finished a class. Yeah. I came so what I was saying, and then when, when Carlos, Gracie, uh, Carlos Gracie Jr. moved to Baja, we started to train in Baja. And that was fun because uh, we already had friends. We already had, you know, that was our neighborhood. That was our place. And then we brought all our friends to train jiu-jitsu with us in our gym. And I don't know if you know about Gracie Baja, but Gracie Baja on that time was the best and the most, like the biggest team in the world, we won, I don't know how many world championships because of that, because our friendship was already uh, uh, established mm -hmm. when we started strange jiu-jitsu together with our friends. And uh, now, of course, we are old, but we're still friends. And uh, we, we build, we're building, you know, things that, uh, you know, 
it's hard if you're not from the martial art business you're not gonna know but people that knows about martial arts they know we're building like a, a bunch of champions a bunch of you know big teams uh in jiu-jitsu in mma and everything so it's good to see where jiu-jitsu is now because uh you know that started with carlos gracie a long time ago and he had the vision that jiu-jitsu would be where it is today and people didn't listen to him now now we know so yeah, because it's funny you mention that because I bought uh, Hicks and Gracie's book Flow, and I remember there was um, a part where they spoke about how Helio had his vision, but Carlos had his vision. Is that right? Yeah. Well, they are actually they were they were man they were together the whole time. Okay, mm -hmm. Helio didn't do anything without asking Carlos first. Mm -hmm. That's the pure truth. Okay, Carlos, Carlos. Uh, of course, they love each other. They're like. They're together the whole time. They were like so, this. Like you couldn't yeah. separate them. Like, but Carlos was the coach. Helio mm -hmm. was the fighter. Okay. And uh, they, they actually respect each other's uh, uh, side. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you have to do. They were a team already on that time. And uh, there, is no, there is no difference. The brothers never had that, that thing that, you know, that split. They were always together. And it hurts me to, to see some guys today saying that Helios started the whole thing. Carlos started the whole thing. No, Carlos started the whole thing with the idea, okay? Now, Carlos and Helios had the same importance, importance to jiu-jitsu and MMA today because mm -hmm. they started together. They started something together. Uh, and I hate to see people separated. Like, I see schools sometimes with Helios' picture on the wall and schools with Carlos pictures on the wall. I think everyone should have both. Mm -hmm. I really think because they, they did it together, not, not just by them, you know, one, one or the other. There was, they were together doing this, this whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, and I think it's important because as you said, there are revisionists that want to like rewrite and it's not right. You like, for example, I do Kyokushin karate. It's the same thing we have where after Masoyama died, there was all like a bunch of split ups. Everyone went in their own way and it, it hurts the art. It just hurts it because it's, it's hurting the value of what the art should be, where there shouldn't be like, well, this person did this or this person said that. This is why we have their picture on the wall. Like, no, it's, it should all be one. It's like, and we're all learning the same kicks. You're all learning the same, uh, like the same leg locks or the same submissions. It's, it's just like, you gotta respect the founders regardless. Regardless, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, that's the thing. Like on that time, they have to prove something. Okay, so it was harder to come with a new martial art and saying, "Okay, we are going to take you down and finish you, and you're not going to be able to move." And they have to prove it. Why? Because people didn't believe yet. Today, if you say I'm a jiu-jitsu fighter, they know what it is, right? On that time, there was not like nobody knew what it was. Okay. So Carlos uh, had his side of like being the trainer, making sure Helio eat it good, making sure Helio sleep good, and making sure everything was all right. So he could go and keep people's ass mm -hmm. to prove that it was the best. And uh, they grew up together doing that. They grew up, they grew Jiu Jitsu together doing that. The first, uh, I don't remember who told me that one that. Uh, Carlos Gracie's first first book about jiu-jitsu was all the philosophy, no jiu-jitsu position. 
And people get frustrated when they bought the book because they bought the book thinking that there was going to be techniques inside and there was only philosophy uh, about jujitsu, how jujitsu could make you better, how jujitsu was invented and everything. And uh, people get frustrated. They didn't understand the concept. Now people know what it is because when they get into jujitsu, it's an addiction. Like it's, it's a, a big family and this kind of stuff he tried to explain on the book and nobody understood. Look, again, someone calling again. Don't worry, we're gonna keep rolling. As Bert as as Bert Watson goes, we roll in. Don't doesn't matter how. Yeah, it's only it's the options I give me: hold and accept, and and accept. Yeah. Hold and accept, and and accept. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know. If and and accept the call, or or it has to be, you know, or hold and accept the call. I would end and accept. See what happens. Okay. Don't, there we go. Run away. You figure it's okay. Technology, it's okay. To that, I don't judge. I'm terrible at technology too. So, <laughs> I need some help. I need. I need to hire a coach, man. I'm gonna have to hire a coach for technology, man. It's there's a lot. <laughs> we better learn because we're gonna be behind. That's what is today. <laughs> it is. It is. So I want to also ask you, um, because you fought professional, you not only you fought in Pride, you fought in Bellator, you also fought in Israel. So I'm, so by the way, I'm Jewish, you know, I'm not, but I, like I've been to Israel four times. I don't identify with the country. It's a beautiful country. When you I went love- there, when you went there, what was your favorite food you had there? I have to ask you. Man, I had, look, I had this, this, I don't know if it was a pita bread. I don't know what it was. I think it was a pita bread. Okay. But it came like a bubble. Uh, numb. It could be numb bread. Yep. Non bread, yeah, pita. No, it's it, it's it, Indian bread. Yeah, so uh, this bread, uh, I want to remember the name of that food because I don't. It was kind of like a, a a Jewish fast food, gorilla mm-hmm. something. It was the name of the place, gorilla something. But they they, man, let me tell you, I used that was the best thing I ever had in my life. This bread, just the bread itself. So there was like, there was hummus coming with that, some salad, something. But I, I used to go to this place just to eat the bread. The bread was amazing. Now, uh, there were, I don't know the name of the food, but there's a chicken that was mixed with onion and nuts and some like something. Mm. Let me tell you, one of the best food I ever had in my life. And one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Tel Aviv was amazing. I was like... Mm-hmm. I will, I will move to a place like that. I will move to a place like that, like that 100%. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I mean, like, there's so much to do there. I mean, I've been all across the country. I've been, I've been to the South. You'll love Tel Aviv, but I'm telling you, when you go to the South, you're not going to like it so much because the heat is like, look, I know you're from Brazil. Brazil's got some really hot weather, but the Middle Eastern heat is a different ball game of hot. And the South down there, it's like you're sweating. Like you're like you could be wearing white and you're sweating, and it's just too much. But the the heat in in Jerusalem, that one you have to be careful with because it's a dry heat. It plays with your heads. So you have to always have like a bottle of water ready. Like Las Vegas heat. Las Vegas heat is like that sometimes too. Really? Like, it's dry, dry. Yeah, it's like the desert. But uh. I went, uh, man, I went to some places there. I don't, uh, Batyan, Batyan. But I don't know if these are the cities I know. Obviously, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Beersheba, Haifa, and. Uh, I, uh, yeah, Batyan, Batyan. I, 
I think. You know what it looks like? It looks like me growing up in the place that I told you, Baja de Tijuca. It was the and same ocean, like the color of the ocean, the, the temperature of the water. It remind me uh, when I was a kid growing up in Baja de Tijuca, like uh, in this place, Batian. What is very, it's, I, from Batian, I could see Tel Aviv. So it's right, it's, it's near Tel Aviv. I, I love it, man. That was a good experience. So why I end up there? Uh, I did a hiatus of like five years without fighting. And uh, I get invited by Jaime Gonzalez, what is one of Hansel's black belt, the one that has Hansel Gracie, uh, uh, Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. And Hansel Gracie, Tel Aviv, or Hansel Gracie, I, I think Hansel Gracie Israel. I think that's how he called. So that's Haim. Haim is one of Hansel's black belts. Mm -hmm. His son and himself were fighting Bellator. Yeah. His son has, a, I think, the fastest submission ever uh, in MMA with the, uh, what's the, that Japanese guy that does the Imanari role? Yeah. Imanari. So he finished with the Imanari role on Bellator. It was the fastest submission of, of the MMA ever. Uh, so they, they teach in there. And he, he did the first ever MMA show of Israel. And he invited me. I Right away, I go, yes, let's go. So we went there and that was amazing. Uh, uh, like, I, I love the experience. It was amazing. That's amazing. And I really think what's interesting too now about Israel is the Gozalis, there was, a, there, was a, there was a pioneer that fought in the early, early UFCs. I always forget his name. And it's bad because I'm like a savant with MMA. Like Nima could tell you. Nima would be like, yeah, Drew knows like, stuff that like I didn't expect him to know that's just me but like now you Israel's turning into slowly they're turning into an MMA power an MMA nation like it's and it's nice to see you have the Gozalis you had Noad Lahat you've had um there was a guy that fought in the contender series it's, didn't make it but still got puts prevalence for Israel and then you have uh I had him on my show recently Ellie the Israeli tank Aronov who's a middleweight prospect so it's really? nice to see it's really nice to see that the that the Middle East is turning out some MMA killers now not Dagestan which we all know there's Dagestan and Russia but it's no, it, it's great they are they are but the Middle East is an untapped powerhouse that we're not looking to so where do you feel you've been to israel which countries do you say would we should be looking out for in the muslim world like for like say sub-sahara africa like egypt uh, syria iran etc like which countries do you feel yeah. have uh, the most potential uh, egypt egypt uh it's coming like i had a, a group of egyptians that came to train with me in in uh in new york in brooklyn and man, let me tell you, their Greco-Roman was amazing. Okay, amazing. Like I'm talking about like top level and I had no idea those kids were like uh, uh, Olympians. They're like really good. One of them is actually 5-0 right now, heavyweight. You can expect this guy on the UFC killing people. Uh, Hamdi, I think is Mohammed, if I'm not wrong, his last name, but Hamdi, is a powerhouse. I'm talking about a guy that is not fat, he's not so heavy, but when he grabs people, doesn't matter their size, he's killing them. And right now, he fought bare knuckles. He and he's a pro now, and he's five and zero pro. And I keep I, I stay in touch with him because I want him to be successful. Even though he's not coming to train with me, I invited him to come train with me. Uh, he's at Killer B right now mm -hmm. with 
uh, uh, Brian Wright, if I'm not wrong, but he's uh, he's going to be soon someone that is going to be on the UFC. And the group of people that were with him, I don't remember everyone's name. I have an Egyptian fighter that trains with us here now, Fadi. He's also a great uh, uh, Greco-Roman wrestler. Mm-hmm. He's learning how to, to knock people out. So the two fights that he had, we're thinking, okay, he's going to use his Greco-Roman. He did two amateur fights training here with us. It was two knockouts, <laughs> one boxing and one with a head kick. Amazing. So uh, I can see those guys. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know those countries. I don't know particular, but I can tell. It's funny, man. The way those guys train, they push a little more. It sounds like they, they wanted to say, okay, we're here. We came from there and we want to put our country on the MMA world. And they kind of like push themselves a little more in the training and in the fights, you know? And uh, I can see I can see this happen. I can see a lot of Middle Eastern countries uh, coming to, to MMA and showing like, okay, we're here. It's very true. It's like, it's just a matter of how we're going to develop it. If the UFC or like other organizations put like performance institutes there, that is the key. That's how you really foster homegrown talent. Like we see Nganu as the African heavyweight champion. If Kamaru Usman, who's Nigerian, you have Israel, well, Israel Adesanya is from Nigeria, but he's from New Zealand. But just having Nganu and the heavyweight champ, which is like the crown jewel, like the heavyweight title is no... Not it's not just some like yeah. I'm gonna tell you the biggest problem of those countries is that uh, they have sometimes not always they don't have them you know that many good coaches like mm-hmm. we have in U.S. and other countries they're more developed. Okay, the good coaches they usually they move out of the countries. Why? Because on theirs on those countries they don't have the same reception that they have when they come to a developed country. This is the biggest problem. That's why if you look at Brazil right now, uh, how many work, how many uh, UFC champions we have now from Brazil? Well, Oliveira, like, there's the whole controversy with him. There's Nunes Oliveira. and uh, Featherweight. Uh-huh. That's one, two, uh, three, right? If I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the little guy, uh, Oh, Davis and Figueredo. Yes, flyweight. Yeah. So we have three. That's it. I'd say I'd say three. Even though Charles had his little weight cut issue, he's really the champ. It's just like there's like yeah. a whole controversy. So we have three champions. At one point, I remember having five, six, okay? And on Bellator and on other organizations, we had a bunch of Brazilians winning. So right now, you don't see that many Brazilians winning. Uh-uh. Yes, they are winning. I'm talking about you don't see that many comparing to how it was before. Before it was like those legion of Brazilians beating everyone up. Okay, so what starts to happen is we don't have the same recognition that we have in Brazil uh, that we have in U.S. Okay, or other countries. I'm not talking about just U.S. I'm talking about countries that, okay, you're a good coach. Come to us. We're going to take care of you. In Brazil, it's totally the opposite. Unfortunately, the politicians just want to steal money from the government and not give it back to anyone. There is no is money laundry and all that. Is uh, is this this actually this president that we have now is the first one that is not corrupt. People complain 
that he is, he doesn't have a structure or whatever, but he's honest. He's not corrupt. But we, we our whole life, we had corrupt politicians. So nobody ever invests in sports in Brazil unless it's an Olympian sport that they can take money from. So if there's money involved that they can make the money back, they will invest. But it's kind of like money laundry, okay? The politicians will go, oh, I'll give you money, but you have to give me a percentage back. That's how I'm going to help you. And unfortunately, that makes people run away from Brazil. Mm. So most of the big coaches now are here. So now, uh, instead of the Brazilians that are there having professional and infrastructural training, they're having less and less. So what I think it should happen to those countries that they could develop a very uh, high-end, high end, like MMA training, I think the, govern, the government should invest on that, bringing good coaches to coach a team like mm -hmm. China. China did that. China brought coaches from all over the world to train uh, their fighters. And now you see on the UFC how many Chinese people are fighting. So you know who did that too? Mexico. They actually UFC invested in Mexican fighters, bringing them to uh, uh, New Mexico, bringing them to Texas, bringing them to places so they can do get, they can get like wrestling, Muay Thai, boxing. They could have uh, high-end training, not just boxing, because we know that Mexicans are good boxers, but jiu-jitsu, wrestling, and everything. And you see now how many Mexican fighters we have, you know, making noise on the world. So this is what I think all those countries should do to bring, if they want it, to bring MMA high uh, on their countries. You know, that's the only way that's going to develop. Because I, I see it a very slow moving if they don't do that. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Another thing I wanted to ask you about Brazil, because I've spoken to other people about this, like I've spoken with Andre about this. Another guest was uh, Victor Silverio, who's out in California. Uh, I wanted to ask you because you're Brazilian. The, the thing with the Brazilian fighters is a lot of them, I'm going to be careful with my wording here because it's like it's, it's a sensitive topic. When they become champions, some of them don't make the effort to learn English. And I think that hurts their star power, because for me, I, the, the Brazilian star that I remember the most was Vitor Belfort because Vitor learned English. Do you feel that, that the champions, if they're going to make their brand bigger, you're a businessman, you own a school, but if they're like, they're a business themselves, if they learn English, like Charles Oliveira, he's never learned a word of English and he lives in Texas of all places. Do you feel that hurts them moving forward if they don't? Well, 100% because uh, for, the, for the martial arts, Fan, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They just see your performance. Doesn't matter if you are speaking Portuguese or, or English. But remember, the biggest the, the 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 biggest percentage of fans of uh, MMA events, especially the UFC, they're not fighters. They just they they just like to to watch, like WWE fans, like mm -hmm. you know A one fans, like Pride fans. They 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 just like you know, to watch. They're not doing martial arts. Some of them are, but most of them don't do martial arts. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to engage with that fighter, you know? So they want to understand their, not just their, the way they fight, but their personality. So if you don't show your personality, they're not going to like you because they, like, they don't understand what you're saying. 
they don't understand if you're being cocky or if you're being respectful because it's another language. So you can't show your feelings and who you are if you're not speaking in a language that the, the basic fan is listening. Mm -hmm. So that definitely hurts the business. They're going to have less fun base. And today in the world, you know, you are who you are uh, with the number of followers you have. So mm -hmm. if you have a number of followers, you're going to be fighting for the belt. If you don't have, you're going to be, you know, trying hard. Uh, you're going to go there a lot slower than if you have a fan base, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, again, I'm not talking shit on any show. I'll do that. If I have a business, I wanted to put, you know, in my business, I want to bring people that are going to make noise. I don't want to bring people that don't have followers because I want to be successful in my business, you know? So you see Jake Paul is not a boxer, never fought boxing on his life. He trained, he's tough, but come on, fighting Mayweather? How are you going to step ahead of so many boxers that had a chance to be able to be on the ring with Mayweather? This guy, a YouTuber, and he's stepping one, with one of the greatest boxers ever just because he can bring money to the table because of his followers. If people don't learn with that, I'm sorry, you have to die and born, you know, in 2050 because then you're going you're gonna to know that this is what's happening today. You know, I know that. I hate, but but I know that. I have to do that. I, I do maybe three or four videos on my Instagram per class. Because if I don't, I know my name is not going to be out there. Mm -hmm. Very true. It's all about marketing and making, putting yourself out there and getting a bit, you know, vulnerable. And, you know, now I want to take it to this question. So you said, you know, you're in Philadelphia. When I looked you up, you also had a school like in another state before. I think it was Michigan. And then you moved to Philly. So what made you choose uh, the city of brotherly love? Was it the cheesesteak? No, I, I, have a, I have affiliations in okay. others. They're not my school. My school is in Philly. My school is always in Philly. Yeah. And I have, I have uh, my students move and then they ask me to open uh, with my name and they open with my name. Mm -hmm. Of course. Same thing. I consider my schools. I consider them my team. So it's the same thing. But my my academy is in Philly. So the reason I end up here is my ex-wife is from Philly. Okay. So we tried to move to Brazil uh, with our kids mm -hmm. and work out. We get there. It was a mess. Not because of Brazil. It was a mess because uh, what well, <laughs> what was happening? Like I had some personal things going on in Brazil, and I couldn't. Again, I couldn't stay there. Mm -hmm. And we, but when we came back. Uh, we didn't know where to go. So she said, well, my father lives in Philly and uh, he's inviting us to go there until we, found, we find a place to go to. Like we choose whatever mm -hmm. you want to open a, a school uh, and we go. I'm like, okay, so we stop in Philly. And when we're in Philly, I started to train a few fighters while I was staying in Philly, because I needed to train. And mm -hmm. I didn't have to train. So some friends that I had uh, getting me in touch with uh, Julio Rosario, what he owns a jiu-jitsu academy here in Fox Chase, uh, Semper Fi MMA. And I started to go, that's where I met Sean Brady. Sean Brady was one of his blue belts. Really? Yeah. So I went to his school and I started to teach jiu-jitsu and MMA. And just, just, just for training, I wanted to train. 
And I remember I used to get on the L train. Ghetto, ghetto. I'm like, ghetto, bad, okay? Like the Rocky Five scene where they moved to Phil- back to Philly, like that kind of ghetto? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I man, it was 10 years ago. Let me tell you, it was bad. Today's bad. But on that time, it was even worse. Yeah. So I used to train, you know, hidden on like always with my back to the to the to the window <laughs> never giving my back to the door like i'm from rio de janeiro come on i have to be street smart so uh i would go to the end to the last station i don't remember which station was near uh northeast philly he'll pick me up driving julio would pick me up and then i'll go to his school and i'll fighters there so my father started to fight uh cage fury cff mm-hmm. And of course, they start to crush everyone. They start to win, 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 win. And now I go to Julio's academy to teach a class and I see like 10 more people and 20 more people and 30 more people. I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, so people are hearing about the way we're training and they're coming to us to train with us. So at one point, I go, man, this like getting in the ghetto train, you know, going all the way there, teach and having to come back at night Tire, eh, I don't know, maybe it's going to be an easier idea if I open a school, start to teach near where I live. And then if I have to go somewhere after and put one of my black belts to teach, I'll do it. So I'm going to open a business. And uh, I call Rob Haydack, the guy that owns Cage Fury. And he was, he actually invested in a school for me. He opened a, a jiu-jitsu school for me and that's when I start to teach jiu-jitsu and MMA and our team went like like this and never I'm gonna tell you when we stopped uh I had already on that time I had uh Jonathan Webb Paul Felder and Daryl Horcher on the UFC on that time you you took you so you're the one that gave Paul Felder his purple belt yes Paul I put Paul in the UFC Wow, I didn't know that. Paul, that Paul's, Paul, Paul's first, second, third, maybe five fights on the UFC, undefeated, it was, was with me. It was training with me. I'm going to tell you when, when things went down again was because I get a proposal to move out of Philly to Massachusetts to open 20 jiu-jitsu schools. Mm-hmm. We're talking about big money, big dream, big everything. And I said... I'm not going to abandon those guys. You know, I created a structure for them to come and train with me in Massachusetts. Uh, on that time, I spoke to Mark Delagrati. Mm-hmm. Mark Delagrati was going to be their striking coach. I was going to be the jiu-jitsu coach and a coach. And uh, look, again. Yeah, it happens. And I have no idea how to, to not respond <laughs> so we have to wait yeah it's fine it's cool it's cool it happens it happens i mean like yeah like one thing i do too is like i put my phone on do not disturb too like hey look it's like it's like it was like right before we recorded because it's like okay i got daniel gracie on i said i will and i have to put my phone on do not disturb it's like i told like all my friends i said guys i said from like for the next hour or so i said i'm not i'm gonna be like unreachable i said i'm in a, I'm in a very important conference even, i don't know how to do that it's okay I'll teach you after. Don't worry. I'll show you how to do it. Okay. Yeah. So I had that, that structure amounted in, in Massachusetts for them to come and train. And uh, I don't know, like they didn't come. 
uh, Paul, uh, uh, Jonathan Webb came, uh, Sean Brady came mm -hmm. with me. Uh, there was a few guys that came to train with me there, but he ended up the business that I was going to do there didn't work out. And I came back to Philly. So I reset and I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to leave Philly and I'm not going to abandon Philly again. I know I can do the same thing that I did on that time. I'm going to do it again. I already had fighters that trained with me. Mm -hmm. So it's not that Sean just started training me. Sean has been training with me since then. You know, we're talking about nine years ago, eight years ago. So we just, I came back to Philly. I called him and I said, look, I'm going back to Philly. I'm going to be going New York, Philly, New York, Philly. And I'm going to bring that MMA team again. And we did. And you see what's going on right now. It's like, uh, that's the second run. And I know that people are going to say, oh, are you not undefeated at the UFC? Because Paul Felder lost. Uh, John Webb lost. I'm, we undefeated on the second run on the UFC. Okay. <laughs> We are undefeated. We have 15 oh right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm impressed, man. He's really so like because I added you because I found you on Twitter too. Because I'm back on Twitter. I'm giving it one last shot with Twitter because Elon Musk Musk bought it. So I, I have faith in Elon. And like you were talking about like how um how like Sean is like seen as the dark horse. And I definitely agree with that. I think there's two dark horses. There's him because we've only seen his grappling, but man, I want to see his striking. And there's another dark horse, but, and his name is uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, who's fighting on uh, Saturday. He's fighting Neil Magny. And I, I said, like I say, these are the two fighters that you need to watch out for in 170. And it's like, it's, it's Sean and Shavkat, but more Sean. 15 and, all, 15 and all, they're both undefeated. Yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? Like, it's like, and everyone's like, you're not, you're only a fan of the Shavkat guy. And I'm like, it's like, I saw this guy debut at UFC 254 on Khabib's last career fight. So when he wears that hat and he says, my favorite animal is a horse. What's your favorite food? I like eating horse. That's a bad motherfucker. You could swear too, by the way, that's a bad motherfucker that's there. And then you got Sean from Philly. Like he's another, he's a Philly bad BMF. You know, you can't mess with the Philly BMFers. No, you can't. <laughs> exactly. Like, let me tell you. This is one of the things that I noticed and I knew I could do it again. I couldn't make that second run and have all those guys winning on the UFC. Well, the first time I came, like it was, look, a very short amount of time that I built those fighters. So I knew I could do it again. Hmm. Like here, they have that. Uh, for me, like when you are, we go to the, to the, to MMA, you need a little switch. You need a, like, you need a little anger on you. You need a little, you know, hmm. to be able aggressive and i know people from philly i like that you know like uh like uh donald trump i actually made a shirt and a gi the inside of the gi say bad things happen in philly you know <laughs> when people uh, i i did an interview for mtv in brazil one time and then the guy asked me what made what makes you know brazilian fighters different uh why they're they're so good why and we are in the middle of one of the favelas the the slums and I said, look around you and you're going to see why they, they're tough. Why, you know, they want to show the world like, yeah, I came from a place like that. And, you know, I, I, I succeed. That's what they want. So people that live in places like that, they, they have a little harder life. That's going to show on the fights. That's going to show them, you know, that it, show, it gives you a little more personality than if you, you know, born on Disneyland, you know what I'm talking about? You're going to be soft. 
if you're born in a place that you don't have to be worried fighting all the time, you don't have to be worried with, you know, people doing some shit from behind you, like, you know, jumping on you or something. It, it makes you hard. It makes you a little, you know, a little more uh, street smart. It makes you a little more fighting smart. Mm-hmm. You can relax. When you can relax the whole time, that makes you like a little more dangerous than normal. And this is what, what's happening in Philly. Like they, they know that and they, they wanted to, you know, let's, let's show the world that we came from here. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Also, I'm from Quebec in Canada. So I'm from Montreal. Montreal's got very harsh winters. So yeah, you got like the, like, like the, you know, with the toughness, you know, like, you know, like a lot of crime and, you know, maybe more grit, but I'd say harsh winters that are in Philly too. If you're from the East coast, those winters, man, they build character. Like it's, uh, they build uh-huh. character too. There's a, there was a, uh, like that, uh, what's the name? The, it's kind of like a quote that people say, go one time to Hawaii, but come back before you get soft. Go one time to New York and come back before you get hard, right? <laughs> so like, uh, you know, wherever you grow, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you that personality from, you know, where you are. So people mm-hmm. that grew up in soft place, I'm not saying that they can't be fighters. They can't, man, a fighter can come from anywhere. But growing up in a place like that that is tough is going to make you a little tougher. tougher you know? It does. Oh, it really does. So taking it to toughness and philosophy, you know, you do a very good job. I've watched some of your videos like on Instagram, but also like there was um, a YouTube content creator. I can't, I forgot his name. It was like he was filming like how you train. Yes, you bring an honest personality. But when I watch you teach, you're very gentle in your approach. And what do you think? makes your philosophy popular with new students or experienced students? Well, the, the thing is, I can't, I can't, I can't teach. That's the thing. Like some people are going to be different learners than others. Okay. Some people learn fast. Some people learn slow. And if I don't, if, if I don't learn with Jiu-Jitsu how to do that, it's going to be hard to be successful in what do you, what do you do? So one example that I give today is like, uh, the guy becomes a world champion, and when he opens a jiu-jitsu school, everybody goes training with him, thinking that they're going to be the next champion. It's not like that. You have to know how to teach, and how you know how you know uh, how to teach is understanding people's pros and cons. Everybody's going to have a pro. Everybody's going to have a con. Everybody's going to have something they can do best. If they're flexible, they're tall, they're fat, they're skinny. They're, however, your body is built. Okay. This is how you're gonna build your character in fighting. Okay, you you can't play jujitsu as a short guy if you're a long guy. You can't play jujitsu as a long guy if you're a short guy. So I didn't learn that by myself. I learned with Hanzo. I learned with my cousin Hanzo. Hanzo is the best one on that. Okay, understanding body types, body limitations, and all that. So for me, for me to teach. Uh, Jiu-jitsu is easy. Of course, I did my whole life. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, nowadays you have champions. You don't have teachers. It's hard to find good teachers today. You're going to see guys winning tournaments, but they're not going to be good teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on my time, jiu-jitsu was about not just learning jiu-jitsu to fight, but it was learning jiu-jitsu to teach. Mm-hmm. So everyone that grew up in my generation knew how to teach. Mm-hmm. It's different. Mm-hmm. We were how to teach we didn't learn only how to fight how to compete we learned both and mm-hmm. now see that and that's why you see me teaching like that now for me to teach mma 
coming from a jiu-jitsu background. It's easy. Easy. A lot easier than teaching jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is complicated to learn. It takes a little while to you create a muscle memory to learn jiu-jitsu. But to learn MMA is easy. If, you, if I get a good wrestler, boom, there. I'm, I can teach this guy in one year, he's going to be UFC level. One year, I promise you. People can say whatever. I know. In one year, no, no. I can put a guy, a good wrestler, good wrestler, you know, that has a, at least know some hands. In one year, I can pick, I can put that guy on the UFC level. Now, why? Because I've been through everything. I suck as an MMA fighter. I came straight from jiu-jitsu to MMA. Mm -hmm. Had no striking, had no wrestling. I had only jiu-jitsu. And I learned with my fights and I learned with the training. And I, you know, the grind was, was, uh, was hard, but I learned because I had jujitsu in my life. So I knew how to do, to use my muscle memory. Mm -hmm. And with my experience, it's easy to pass through my students. It's very easy because I made the mistakes that I don't want them to make now. That's mm -hmm. why people don't understand why we're growing so fast. We're growing fast because I know I've been there. I know what I need to do. You know, I, I know what I can't do. This is the main thing. Very true. I like the point too, where you said there's a difference between teaching fast and teaching slow. And when I say teaching slow, we're seeing a lot of parents now, because I'm sure you've had students like students with special needs, say autism, ADHD, ADD. And someone asks me like, what do you recommend? Because I too am on the spectrum mildly. I have what's called it could be called Asperger's. It could be called pervasive developmental delay, whatever it is. It's like, it, it, I don't let it hamper me because it's like, you got, you. I found my niches of what I'm good at. But when you get a special needs student, Daniel, do you feel you're learning from them too of how they're going to proceed with the art? Yeah, 100%. Because remember, like the, this is the thing, like it's easier to you teach something to, to a special need kid or student if you're not touching them. Mm -hmm have is exactly the problem with the touch so yeah. how you train jiu-jitsu if you don't like people touching people mm -hmm. putting so this is actually a mental work and uh, we have we develop things with jiu-jitsu in how to teach them like for me one thing add for me doesn't exist okay, okay. ADD every kid has they do have it yeah i probably every have it but it's just energy so and it's happening more and more i'm going to tell you why it's getting it's getting worse why because parents are not raising their kids now. Parents are just putting the kid in front of a iPad or an iPhone, putting, you know, video games, introducing a lot earlier. Like on my time, kids wouldn't see a video game until they're like 12, 13. They have the mental develop already. Now they're babies and they're already with a phone in front of them. Mm. And creating a issue, like putting a pacifier on your kid every time he cries. Of course, the kid is going to get addicted to the pest fire. So now kids are getting addicted to phones. They're getting too much information. Their brain is not developed yet to get that, many, that much information. Okay? So what's happening now is kids lose their interest in talking to you. They are more interested in looking on the phone. And then when the parent takes that kid to a doctor, the doctor is going to say, yes, he has ADD. Of course he has ADD. Instead of you talking to them, engaging with the kid, you know, hugging the kid and being a father, you're putting the fucking kid in front of a computer, in front of a video game, in front of a telephone when they are one year old. What do you think is going to happen? 
Come on. You know? True. So you want to keep them busy until you do something? Put them to martial arts. Put them to do something that's going to develop their brain, not fuck their brain. You know? Mm-hmm. So like I like so just bring it back to what where we're saying. Martial arts 100 percent is the best thing for kids that having have attention disorder, movement disorder, like any anything, any I think any type of autism would be better treated with martial arts. Of course, there's levels of autism, but uh, I think any martial art will help them to get better. I agree. I'm a very big proponent of it. Like, like I'm an example. Like I use my platform as an example too. I say, look, I'd be like, you think you have a bad, like, I'm going to tell them, like, I tell them, I said, don't feel like you're worthless. I said, you have a, uh, you have, you do have a key role in society. You're going to find it. It might take some time. For example, it took me to find martial arts and podcasting. And now it's like, I'm talking to you. I, I've talked to Nima. I've talked to uh, like pro fighters. And I want to use that as a, an example to say, you can't let others dictate your hand dealt. Yes, we're all dealt difficult hands. Coming from uh-huh. Philly, you have to play the hand accordingly. And if you play the hand accordingly, then things start to happen. Exactly, exactly. And and, and again, the main, the main thing is to, uh, you know, have the mental strength of accepting and turning the thing into a positive. You know, this mm-hmm. is this what what we do here with the fighters you know accept that like yes you're here uh you know you're in a fucked up place but now let's get the positive from that when you're fighting think about how you're going to get out how you're going to how you're going to you know make your life better it's showing that you really want that mm-hmm. and then show the results will come of course Exactly. You've done such an amazing job, especially with Philadelphia. And, you know, like, you know, you're really changing the lives of others. What do you hope your legacy to be? You know, you've done your fighting, you did what you could. But now as a teacher, as you're planting the seeds in the next generation that come, what do you hope to build with the youth of Philadelphia as they continue to look at martial arts and and start developing their human potential through it? Yeah, well, I like like I said, I'm gonna give an example. Like we've been doing this, we're making noise for a long time, and I'm not gonna say just us because the Dalkus brothers also they're they're doing a great job. You know, the Martinez BJJ, uh, mm-hmm. they're doing a great job with those fighters. Uh, but uh, since we start to make noise, since we start to bring those Philly fighters, you know, to the high end in the UFC, you know how many times we get we get uh in touch someone get in touch uh with us from local news or uh newspaper or whatever news in philly news channel you know how many people came to talk to us too many what zero so uh there was an article on the ufc.com talking about what we're doing when we were 14 and 0 now we're 15 and 0 uh, Philly Inquirer came and we actually waiting for an article to go out on us. But we're talking about this, all these years working and making people win in the top level organization that is the UFC. We are undefeated. And now, now after all this, we get one, one news. Uh, I think the newspaper, Philly Inquirer is a newspaper. One of them came to talk to us now, just now. Mm-hmm. 
So how how we're gonna change things if you're not helping develop uh, mental strength, body, and like what what they do is this: let them kill each other. Oh, Philly, Philly's a ghetto. Philly, oh, don't go there; it's dangerous. People killing each other. Oh yeah, they have the biggest number of uh, drug addicts in the world. So how are we gonna change that? If we're not presenting to a kid growing up in a school, okay, this is jujitsu, this is karate, this is like, this is a martial art. You're not presenting that early in the age. How can we change the place? Instead of that, what they're building more, instead of building a training center, something that develops sports, they're putting more methadone clinics. Mm, wrong. Very wrong. Would you be for also like if they have, if, if let's say, for example, you also ran on a political platform, you know, politics is a very dirty game. But let's say, for example, if they said to you, Daniel, we have a problem with the youth. There's a lot of that risk youth here, you know, coming from broken homes. And would you be for putting martial arts, mandating martial arts in schools for physical education? 100%. Let me tell you, if this happened, the world will be better. Mm-hmm. There's going to be less wars. People, this is the problem. Martial arts make you humble. Mm-hmm. Humble human being, it's a better human being. Mm-hmm. Human understands the value of life. You know, they understand the value of friendship. Uh, they understand the value of respect, hierarchy. It's going to be a better human being. It's going to understand that doing bad things is not okay. Mm-hmm. Biggest problem. We grew up, we grew up here not having this kind of education from the parents because the parents are already using drugs or they are, you know, fuck this, fuck that in front of the kid. Like there's like cursing and being aggressive. Some of them beat up their kids. It's, it's a bunch of problems that we grew up, uh, or not we grew up, but kids grew up in places like that, that is just going to make it worse. So if there is not a situation that can change them when they're little kids, it's not going to happen. When they're here, you look at the teenagers in Philly when they're 14, 15. I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid of them. They're not teenagers. Don't look at them like they're teenagers. They can kill you. Mm-hmm. So if a politician comes in and mandate martial arts in schools, I will tell you, in two or three years, you see results already. Mm-hmm. Two or three. Look at look at Abu Dhabi. Look at Abu Dhabi, Dubai, where jiu-jitsu is mandatory. Look at the kids. I went there now. It was like amazing, amazing. See all those little kids doing jiu-jitsu since they start in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Mandatory. They have to do it. It's mm-hmm. a class for jiu-jitsu that they have to do it every day. Do you credit your cousin Henzo for that? Because there's a story that Henzo met with like some of the royal family and then they were really amazed with the philosophy of jujitsu. 100%. 100%. Henzo has a big, a big thing on that. Mm, that's amazing. When his conversations with Sheikh Tarnoon, he, they get into, you know, ideas and, uh, and he said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it mandatory on my country. And now it is. And now they're, they're already seeing champions coming out of there, jiu-jitsu champions com- com- uh, coming out of the Emirates. It's so amazing. Why, we are a developed country. Why, why can't do that? 
Why, why cops? Why cops here don't learn jujitsu? Yeah, exactly. But I like this. Those are things that like what's happening. It's politics. Are you guys afraid of training jujitsu? Are you not humble enough to learn jujitsu? What's going on? Like when you when you go, especially here, because in Brazil there's no fighting if you're a cop and a drug dealer. Here you see it happening all the time. People engaging in fights, but not in Brazil. People just in Brazil they shoot. They mm-hmm. shoot. Okay. But here here people fight. And you see all the time. The the thing that just happened uh with George Floyd wouldn't happen if that cop was a jiu-jitsu guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, be no bullshit. It wouldn't be worse. It would be better because you understand that he was hurting that guy's neck. Mm-hmm. If you do that everyday training, you know how to control. That mm-hmm. guy had no idea what he was doing. He had no idea that he was choking that guy. Mm-hmm. Or, the Rodney, like, or the Rodney King. If the cops knew jujitsu instead of beating Rodney King, maybe we would have not had those riots. 100%. 100%. That's what people don't understand. They're thinking that if they know more, they're going to they're gonna be more aggressive. They're not. They're not. I think right now in the U.S., we need jiu-jitsu to be mandatory to uh, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And we're in Philly, nothing. In New Jersey, they started. Now it's mandatory in New Jersey. It's, it's PA? I, I think PA. Yeah. It's PA. No, it's Pennsylvania. That, that Pennsylvania is like, you're in Pennsylvania, so for you guys, it's Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. That's Pennsylvania. No, 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 I know. I'm saying Pennsylvania... Uh, uh, I think it's mandatory now, jiu-jitsu or, or new wow. something like that. Something like that. Nobody ever came looking for me, you know, to ask for help. So I I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like the, the thing is, at one point, they're they're taking the power from the police away. Mm-hmm. So the you know, do anything anymore. Uh people are getting more aggressive towards them and they don't know how to defend themselves. So I don't know at one point. We're just gonna let the city for bad guys to do whatever they want. It's like a mar. It's like a. It's like a. It's like a DC Marvel movie, but in the alternate universe where like the bat, the asylums. Exactly. So I wish. I wish actually, my you're talking about my legacy. I wish I could help more. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish you know people could come and and you know learn jujitsu, understand the philosophy, become better human beings, and then you know having like be able to start something that could change uh some kids life yeah or, uh, uh, calls coming in again it happens don't worry people yeah just continue what were you saying you wanted to continue the the lot you want to impact the lives of kids basically or kids and like and the law enforcement mm-hmm. anything anything that i could leave that could help them you know develop something that would be good it would be beneficial for the future mm-hmm. because that would that's even if you start now, it's late already. We have to start. We have to start soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, is it, I don't know who do I have to get in touch with? Politician, like who? Who can do that? You know, should be something that uh, we could spread all over the world instead of just one place. Exactly, but you start one. And then you, it spreads, like it spreads like a wave. And then that's what you have to do. You start somewhere and then waves. 
And so now, you know, take it to another positive point, because this was that was very good how you said it, how you want your legacy to be. And I think a lot can take from that. And that's what I hope too with this conversation. So I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Okay. So um, they're going to be simple, but I'm going to, but it's like, but so you just got to be ready. So what's the best Philly cheesesteak place in Philadelphia if I come to Philly? I, I like Joe's. Joe's? Steak. Yeah, I like Joe's. Okay. Now, a lot of, they're all good. Reality, they're all good, but they all, they all claim to be the best. <laughs> Every one of them is the same taste. <laughs> it's all the same thing, but again, they all claim to be the best. <laughs> but I like, personally, I like Joe's, uh, Joe's steak. <laughs> okay, and when it comes to other sports, Philadelphia Flyers or Pittsburgh Penguins? Flyers, of course. Okay. No, I, like I'm a Flyers fan and an Eagles fan. <laughs> oh. oh, you're 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 loyal, man. I love that. Okay. Um, okay. When it comes to vacationing, okay. Emirates or Asia, like Japan, China, those countries. Uh, definitely Japan. Okay. Japan is one of the best places ever like i love japan okay here's a good one for film series james bond or star wars star wars are you kidding me <laughs> okay okay and uh lastly when it comes to when it comes to surf spots hawaii or brazil brazil there's let me tell you there's brazil and like rio de janeiro there is no other country like my country. My country is the best country in the world. My city is the most beautiful and the most exciting city in the world. Rio de Janeiro. I've been all over the world. There is no place like Rio. No place like Rio. I'm going to go there in the future. That's a And since the way you presented it to me, you promoted it, I'm going you there. I'm to. Everyone had to go one day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to do jiu-jitsu camps there, and then you can come. Perfect. I love it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'll be a white belt because I do striking because my, my goal is to get my black belt in karate and then... I'm a, I'm a Kyokushin karate fan. I love Kyokushin karate. Are you serious? Dude, you're I, gonna, when I, when I, I'm going to make a reel of this, you're going to get like a thousand more fans probably. Let me, let me tell you, uh, I try to sometimes to teach my guys uh, some Kyokushin karate uh, conditioning and they think, they think it's a joke. They really think that I'm you know that I'm not being serious. I can get I can get a kick to the thigh right now, and I'm not gonna feel it just because of my Kyokushin karate training. Mm -hmm. The conditioning I used to go and train uh, with a few fighters. I that's where I actually I met Glauber Feitosa there when I went to train. So I had a, I had a a, a Muay Thai instructor in Brazil named Eduardo Pamplona. He was one of our jiu-jitsu guys, but he was a very good Muay Thai guy, and he took me to train on the center, on the training center uh, in Sao Paulo, where Glaube Feitosa and Francisco Filho, where they used to come and train. Mm -hmm. uh, so Paulo Zorello used to, to be there too. Like some some guys, uh, they train kickboxing, Muay Thai, Kyokushin, all together in one place. And I used to go there and train with them. And the conditioning was all Kyokushin karate conditioning, kicking wow. the kicking sandbag, uh, you know, getting kicked to the to the neck a hundred times, getting hit to the like, getting hit on the arms. And I told people, I said, this works. It's not that 
is not just fake like that you see in movies. This works. And we did sometimes. I actually started to do it with them. I have to do it again. Actually, you remind me. I have to start to do it again. Now, until today, okay, long time I don't do it. If you kick my leg, I'm going to be able to, to eat the kick. I'm going to be able to, to hold the kick just because of my Kyokushin karate training. Wow, that's amazing. I hope you introduce it to Sean Brady. And then Sean Brady, when he becomes the top two contender and then champion, you're going to be like... For me, best strike. If you tell me who's the best striker in the world ever for you, mm-hmm. and the best one that I've ever seen in my life. Best one I've ever seen? That's a very tough... It's a, okay, so... It's a toss-up. Huh? It's a toss-up, okay? Because there's like there's like there's like four guys I have who are the best strikers, okay? I would say um Vitor for the boxing, because Vitor did have amazing boxing. No, I'm not talking about MMA, I'm talking about martial arts in general. Oh, okay. Strikers. Uh, I would say Globy Fetoza for the question mark kick he invented. Like that's him. And I would also put Andy Hug. And- Andy Hug. Me, Andy Hug is the best. Mm-hmm. Andy Hug for me like he remember he was not a big guy no he was small and he was like he was fucking people up and they were big guys you know uh, like i'm telling i i love i love to watch him killing all those big guys with just with the technique you remember him and uh mike bernardo when he did yeah. a spinning a spinning back kick to the back knee on mike bernardo when mike bernardo was like uh limping and switched stance mm-hmm. and he him back kick with the heel to his knee on the back knee. That's wow. magic. Are you kidding me? That's the, for me, he was the best. I, uh, uh, Ramon Decker, too. Ramon Decker was really mm-hmm. good, but Ramon Decker was not a Kyokushin Karate guy, but Kyokushin Karate, Andy Hug for me, the best one ever. Well, when I was talking with Costello Van Stennis from Bellator, he's a middleweight, pro, he's a middleweight contender in Bellator. He was telling me that in Holland, because you see of Ramon Decker's, a lot of the Holland kids have a Kyokushin background. They use it as a base to then go into the other, to add to their skill set after. So it's definitely a very valid, a very good martial art to start with, as well as wrestling and BJJ. Yeah. That's the, the, the main thing is that today, uh, today is a very big mixed. That's the thing. There is traditional martial arts, traditional uh, striking to every, mm-hmm. you know, that you can have, but now it's a mix. So now you see boxers that know how to kick, you know, kickboxers that know how to do karate kicks and, and things like that. Even capoeira, people, in, you know, introducing to, to MMA. Now the mixed martial art is mar- mixed martial art. Before it wasn't. Now it is. Now everybody knows everything. Uh, and you can take a little bit of everything. You can take good things from every martial art, mm-hmm. every striking. The, but uh, one thing that one of the things that, uh, you know, the only thing I don't like it in MMA is like that some people, they, they kind of like split whatever, because I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu, they, they think I'm a, I'm a jiu-jitsu coach. No, mm-hmm. I'm a I know how to strike. I've been doing that my whole life. I learned from the best and I know how to coach you to strike and knock people out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one thing that happened in us is not in anywhere else it's here is like they label you like wrestling coach wait a minute our wrestling coach is one of my brown belts mm-hmm. cody he's also the wrestling coach of demi maya okay so a guy that's a brown belt of mine 
is going to be good in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. I'm a wrestling coach. He's not just a wrestling coach. I'm not just a jiu-jitsu coach. Fuck you. I can, you, you can do boxing your whole life. I can train someone to knock your ass out. You know? So understand the game today. Everybody knows everything. And I can teach you how to strike. I can teach you how to wrestle. I can teach you jiu-jitsu. And I know there's some strikers out there that can do the same thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know? So just understand the game. And you will succeed. That's it. Very, very true. And I guess we'll conclude it here. So Daniel, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This was such a big honor um, that you took time out of your day. I was, I had such a fun time. It felt like I was uh, like, I was talking to a friend forever. Where can people connect with you if they ever want to like learn about you or they want to learn BJJ or if they want to take the professional fighter route? Well, let me tell you, I'm, of course, you, if you, if you research, you're going to find our schools in Philly, but my Instagram, Daniel Gracie, mm-hmm. uh, my Instagram is Daniel Gracie BJJ. Where we train the MMA, where is Marquez MMA, Daniel Gracie team. Uh, that's John's school. That's where we do the MMA. Uh, of course, the MMA guys come to train here with me. But I, I'm all over Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Every day I post videos of my classes. Uh, again, because I know, I understand that today, if you don't do that, you're not going to have any students. So I, I, I'm a pretty, like, not that I like it. I don't like to be that, that active on social media. But I have to, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm there. So again, you want to, you want to find me just go on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook and you know what, what's going on. And I'm going to start, I, I used to teach positions and I stopped during the pandemic. I was doing a lot, but now I stopped. So I'm going to start to do it again once a week to mm-hmm. place one of the positions that I'm showing here. Amazing. Amazing. Well, once again, everyone, make sure to hit the like, share, subscribe, follow to Daniel Gracie. Look him up on the platforms you mentioned. If you love this conversation, make sure to hit the like, share, subscribe button to the Drew Experience. We're only growing. It doesn't matter if you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Kyokushin, kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, luta livre, muay thai. Just hit the like, share, subscribe, share it. We're growing because martial arts is the true global sport, not soccer. Sorry, soccer, but martial arts is vastly growing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 